welcome back to Grace Talks, a Christian's women's podcast that studies the Bible, the women in it, and applies it to our lives today. I hope you've been enjoying the current series on Esther. I'm sorry I had to take a break on it last week. I was finishing up my stuff on the equestrian team and projects on school, and here we are a week later, 9 p.m. the night before you're going to be listening to this, and we're we're getting it out. We're we're recording it. So um, for this episode, we're going to be starting the fourth chapter of Esther. If you've been keeping up, then you already know how much I love this whole book because I've said so repeatedly. Another shout out to Beth Moore for her Bible study of Esther when it helped me study Esther for the first time. So in the last episode, we were introduced to our villain, Haman. Haman was so mad at Mordecai for not bowing to him that he decided he wanted to wipe out every single Jew in the Persian empire, which was most of the world at that point. Normal reaction, I suppose. He convinced the king with minimal effort to let him enact his plan for the sake of the kingdom. He casts a lot or rolls a dice to decide when his planned extermination would take place. 11 months before that time chosen, he sends out an edict in every language in every province that people must annihilate and destroy every Jewish man, woman, and child on the proclaimed day. The end of chapter three shows the city of Susa in confusion with Haman and King Xerxes just carrying on normally, as if Haman didn't just call for the genocide of an entire population of people. Esther 4 verses 1 through 3 shows the Jews' response to the edict. When Mordecai learned of all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and went out into the city gate, wailing loudly and bitterly. But he went only as far as the king's gate, because no one clothed in sackcloth was allowed to enter it. In every province to which the edict and order of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews, with fasting, weeping, and wailing. Many lay in sackcloth and ashes." So obviously the Jews are are experiencing devastation and showing that through grieving. A way they did this in their culture was symbolic. They wore sackcloth and covered themselves in ashes. It was a way of lowering their status and presenting themselves as a dead person. Knowing that, we can understand that they are feeling hopeless and mourning their situation and what is to happen in their near futures. There is a passage in Joel that I want to read, something that connects mourning with our Lord in heaven. Joel chapter 2, verses 12 through 14 says, Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. Who knows? He may turn and relent and leave behind a blessing, grain offerings and drink offerings for the Lord your God. Even now, he says, even now when the world feels like it is ending, even in the greatest trials, even now return to him. He says, return to me, come back to me. And he doesn't say return to me because you have to or return to me with a smile on your face. He says, come back to me with all of your heart and bring all of your emotions with you. God created us with emotions. He knows that we feel them, that we experience fear and anxiety and deep, deep sadness. And Jesus experienced those emotions too. He empathizes with our pain and with the feelings we experience as human beings in a rough, broken world. 
Jesus wept and God knows that we will too. He wants us to bring those emotions to him because he is patient and so, so loving. But instead we have a tendency of running out into the world with those overwhelming feelings and wrecking havoc and making it worse for ourselves and often for others. But that's where for our benefit and for others, we have to prioritize our faith over our feelings. The Bible tells us that our heart is deceitful. Our emotions sometimes block out our perception for truth and logic and what is fact. C.S. Lewis once said, faith is the art of holding on to things in spite of your changing mood and circumstances. Just because the world around you is shifting doesn't change your position as a child of God. Haman wants to bring Mordecai down to his knees, right? That's what this all was about. He wanted him to suffer and beg and to be cut down in grief. But what Haman did not and could not have understood and anticipated was Mordecai falling on his knees to cry out to God, to a living, loving God. And what Haman also failed to realize was Mordecai's connection to the palace. Esther chapter four, verses four through eight says that when Esther's eunuchs and female attendants came and told her about Mordecai, she was in great distress. She sent clothes for him to put on instead of his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther summoned Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs assigned to attend her, and ordered him to find out what was troubling Mordecai and why. So Hathak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. Mordecai told him everything that had happened to him, including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict for their annihilation, which had been published in Susa, to show to Esther and explain to her. And he told him to instruct her to go into the king's presence to beg for mercy and plead with him for her people. So how did Esther respond to Mordecai's distress when she first saw it? She was immediately distressed herself and wanted to make it better, which is a great testament to her character. Because keep in mind, she's now been queen for five years. That's five years of being married into luxury and likely leisure. Five years could easily spoil anyone into becoming self-serving and unempathetic. Yet Esther is immediately concerned for Mordecai and wishes to remedy it. Where she trips up, though, is that before assessing what is wrong and finding out about that, she just tries to fix up the outer picture. She sends him fresh clothes to change into, almost as if thinking that if the exterior is fixed, the problem is fixed. Have you ever done that? <laughs> I feel like a lot of us have at some time or another. We try and fix what looks wrong to try and fix the issue instead of diving into why it's wrong or why it's broken instead of getting to the root of the problem. That's what a lot of people use therapy for to get to the root of the issue that they're experiencing. You might wonder why you never feel satisfied or why you get so frustrated easily and why you get sad out of the blue. Sometimes it's just our brain struggling. Sometimes it's the hormones or the chemicals out of balance. But I think a reason there is such a large surge in these struggles is because there is such a lack of getting to the spiritual root of it. Maybe you're unsatisfied because you seek satisfaction in the wrong place. Maybe you're anxious because you think that this life is all you're ever going to get. And so every time something's wrong, it, it, it's wrong now. And there's nothing to look forward to to fix it. Maybe you're sad because you don't realize that you are so loved and so valued and put on this earth for a reason. 
And once again, it's not to say that we're not going to feel these emotions. I feel them all the time, but our goal is to bring these feelings to God, to go to our roots, which is our creator, to evaluate what is happening on the inside with our souls, with the Holy Spirit, instead of just trying to fight back by ourselves against the issues. For instance, when I am struggling with insecurity, I could just go to the gym every day, maybe twice a day, and count out every single calorie and hide behind a bunch of makeup and cute hair and flattering clothes. I could go through those 12 months of beauty treatments Esther and all those other girls went through. But if I don't get to the root of my insecurity, even if I made myself into the undisputed most beautiful woman in the world, I would still hate something about myself and I would find something new to be insecure about. So I have to go to God, get my worth from God. Being healthy and working on what you look like isn't a bad thing, but it is when your beauty is where you find your worth. Vanity is the same whether you hate your looks or you love them. You are emphasizing their importance. Beauty fades, but the love and plans God has for you, that's eternal. When Esther realizes that she can't just fix the problem externally, she has someone ask Mordecai what's wrong. And Mordecai comes with the receipts, right? He gives the messenger Hathak facts, figures, the entire edict and what it means. He wasn't messing around with this, but then he does the crazy thing. The things that most TV shows and movies don't really do, he tells her to beg the king for mercy. And you might think that is exactly the plot line of a movie, but it's actually not a lot of the time. The plot usually is that, like, I love you and I want to protect you at the expense of the rest of the world. Mordecai, up until this point, has been the one encouraging Esther to keep her nationality a secret. No one at this point knows she's a Jew. But this isn't the plot of a movie. This was a historical epic that it turned into, passed down for generations. And Mordecai was a man of God, not of the world. And he knew that Esther was a woman of God, not a woman of the world. But at first, Esther's fears suggest her to be otherwise. Esther chapter 4, verses 9 through 11 says, Hathak went back and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, all the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned by the king has but one law, that they be put to death unless the king extends the gold scepter to them and spares their lives. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. Esther returns Mordecai's terrible news with a statement of fear. If anyone approaches the king when they haven't been called, they die immediately, unless the king extends his scepter. And I I don't know if you remember, but the king has been known to have some temper tantrums. If I was Esther, I wouldn't want to risk that. And Esther hadn't been called to the king in like a month. So the likelihood of seeing him was low, and the likelihood of her surviving if she approached him was low. But here was Mordecai's response in Esther 4, 12 through 14. When Esther's words reported to Mordecai, he said back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Mordecai responds to her by saying, do you think that just because you are in the palace, you're safe? That the world does not still suffer outside of the palace walls? If you do not act, Esther, 
someone else might be given the honor of saving us, but there might also simply be catastrophe. You are in a place where you can do something about it, and who's to say that you weren't born for exactly this purpose? She has a chance to act, to do, to make a difference, and the suffering of her people should drive her to act. Esther is queen of an empire. She has the capabilities to influence so much. And it might sound obvious when we look at the story of Esther, like, obviously, she should do something. But hold that same mirror of clarity up to your own face. Because we might not be queens of some worldly kingdom with borders and all that, but think for just a minute about who you are. Luke 17 verses 20 through 21 says, once on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say here it is or there it is because the kingdom of God is in your midst, not an earthly kingdom, but a spiritual one, one that is within people and surrounding everyone and everything, not determined by borders or palaces, but by temples the temples being your own body. First Peter 2.9 says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Revelations 5.10 says, you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. You are God's special possession, chosen, considered royalty in a really unique way because if the kingdom of God is a holy nation your royal position is different from Esther's it's better you're a royal priest a holy heir you reign on the earth because you serve God because you are his Galatians 3 26 through 29 says so in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith for all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Absorb all of this with your whole heart. You are royalty, the daughter of the king of the universe, heir to his promise and his protection. And with your royal position, as Esther is finding out, there comes a responsibility because you are placed within your sphere of influence for a reason. Ecclesiastes 3, verse 2, and then 7 through 8 says these things. There is a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. Within your sphere of influence, within your life, there are going to be times for all of these things, a day that you are born, a day that you will die, days that you will build things and days that you will break things, moments for war and for peace, for love and for hate, a time to bite your tongue and a time to speak up. Mordecai is telling Esther that now is her time to speak up. There was a time for her to be born, a time for her to be taken to that palace, a time for her to marry and win the favor of the king, a time to hide her identity. But now, now there is a time for her to speak up, to save and to serve her people. Acts 17, 26 through 27 says, from one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. 
God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. God has marked out times in history for people to take action, for people to make a difference. He did this so that his people could seek him out. And when you seek God, you will find God. Because as it says, he is not far from any of us. He's always near, waiting for us to turn to him. And Esther decides to turn to him. Esther chapter 4, verses 15 through 17, read this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. Esther decided to act. But she's going to act with God and depending on his guidance. That's what the fasting was for. And did you catch what she said at the end? If I perish, I perish. Esther makes the brave choice to risk her life for the sake of everyone else's. And then remember what Mordecai said earlier. If you remain silent, deliverance can come from somewhere else. And he's right. God isn't limited to you or to me. He could choose someone else. But how incredible is it that we might be chosen, that he could use you? that he could use me. Isaiah said in his book, chapter six, verse eight, then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. Mordecai tells Esther to act. He wants her shouting out those words. Here I am, send me, use me. And I want you to shout out those words too. I want you to know that you can make a difference. And for all of the times that I have had to hear someone say that just one person can't make a difference, let me ask you this. Did Christ? Jesus was one man, a man who changed the fate of all of us, of our futures, of the entire world. And the power that lived and lives inside of him lives inside of you. So yeah, you can make a difference. You could change the fate of the people around you, not just in this life, but in the next one too. So stand, speak, die, but don't be silent. And you don't have to die, die, likely, wherever you're watching this or listening to this. I mean, commit the death of self, of self-serving and self-centeredness and selfishness. Life is better lived when you're living it for other people. And Esther is a book of application, of doing, not just believing or saying. Because it's not about what you think. It's about what you've done with what you think. That you believe and then that you have the courage to match your convictions. So be bold. Be brave. Be the kind of person that you needed when there wasn't anyone for you. Or that you needed and showed up for you. Be the kind of person that you were made to be. And who knows, maybe you were born for such a time as this. Maybe you were created to make a difference in that one person's life or to do that one action that starts a whole chain of good actions and events or to simply live a life that brightens up the darkness in others. So reach out to God. You'll find him right next to you, even if he feels far, and then say, here I am. 
Esther was placed in her royal position for a reason. And so are you. Well, that is everything that I have for today. So don't forget to review the podcast on wherever you're listening to this on and check out the social media, Instagram, Twitters, and YouTube account. <laughs> you can subscribe, you can like, you can comment, you can share, and all these things just help spread the ministry a little further and make this reach more people. And that's exciting for me. I love doing that. That's what, what I do this for. So I hope you join in next time, though, uh, when we keep on talking about Esther. So yeah, if you have any questions about today's episode, the Bible, anything else, I'd be happy to answer it as best as I can. And if you hadn't heard it today, just know that God loves you. I love you. You are important. You have worth and you have a purpose. So I'm signing off. Bye. Bye.